Welcome to the Happy Holy Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Holy You, you know that we are all about health and well-being, and we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. All right, Stephanie and Heather, hello. Hello. Well, Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel honored to be with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And we talk about a lot of different things on this podcast. I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen in to any of the topics that then pretty widespread. One of my favorite things to talk about is why people do what they do. And yeah, this how the mind yeah. works. Right. I know Anna Marie is also pretty big on that as well. And when I think about your work, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and in your field? Yes. So it's been a long time. I mean, I've been doing this work for almost 10 years. I have experience in a lot of different areas in social work. My background's in social work. My bachelor's and master's is in the I did child protected services. I've done foster family agencies. I've done home studies for adoptions. I've been a probation, a correctional officer. I work with autistic children. Um, I worked for school districts as a school social worker, so seeing a lot of crisis in the schools. And then working, I took the leap and started my own private practice. And I'm the owner of Elevate Mental Health Services, and that's where I now do full time. And it's scary as heck, but it's definitely a really good season. And I'm able to finally do work that like satisfies my heart. And it's very purposeful and very satisfying. And um, I get to work with teens every day. So that's really great. I remember a while back, we were uh, chatting, you and I and your husband. And yeah, you were in just in the process of about to make the beat and by the practice. And yeah. I feel like there's been so much that's happened since then that was probably not really yeah it was ago yeah yeah so i was curious to model maybe a couple of things that stood out to you over the last few years and maybe if you could share some tools that you might out in little garden and seeing brain health i know Anne Marie had two young children one of hers is just what 13 right Lewis? Yeah. yeah a teenager uh years of 13 and then she's also and Garrity, who is 11. Yep. Yeah, 11. So, I don't know. I think about all the parents out there after the pandemic. And I think of what was going on during the pandemic as well. And I think I know from the first-hand experience how many of all things and things really led to difficult sounds and times. And I'm curious to know, is there anything that you would have, you know, from a, a mindset perspective or anything that you might have that could, be a bit advice to parents that are parenting 10 to 18 year olds, maybe. 
I think the first thing I would say is I work with a lot of parents who really come in just in a lot of distress just because their teenings are having difficulties. And I think the first thing I would say is just parents are doing a good job. Like, it's okay. You don't have to have it all together. We don't have to show up and be perfect. And I think modeling that for our kids is a really good example of that because I think if our kids see that you're also struggling and being vulnerable to a certain extent with them, then they're going to be okay being like, no, I'm struggling too. I'm not so okay. I don't need to be and so first of all, I want to say parents, it's okay. We do everything you can. Be kind to yourself. I'm talking to my, I'm not a parent, but I do feel like I'm also imparting myself and I want to do really well. And so I think it's just being okay with your journey so far and being okay with yourself and kind of doing that mindset work and doing and reflecting and looking back on your, on your own experience. So sometimes I think we get paralyzed and get stuck. And I think you need to remind yourself of like how much you've accomplished. Well, sometimes that takes journaling or reflecting to remind yourself of that. Um, for kids, I think, do you recommend them not to tell them as well? Yeah, definitely. I think journaling is very important. Some kids, doesn't work for everyone, right? Journaling doesn't work for everyone, but I definitely recommend journaling for kids. I also encourage like having a mentor or like talking to someone. I hear parents saying to me, like, I don't need to be the one that my kid talks to. I just need my kid to talk to someone. I recommend mentors, churches, adults that you trust your children with that are very in a good headspace. Because I think that's really important is having that outside person for kids to talk to. It not only teaches them how to communicate, but it also teaches them how to build that self-awareness. And so in the future, they can build that self, they'll have that self-awareness to recognize that something's up. I need to talk to someone. Um, so I think it's just having the mentor, journaling. I also encourage kids to create a mind space. So tapping into those senses, right? The um, sight, see, touch, smell, and hear. And I encourage them to put these little nooks in the room or wherever there's a safe place. Having a favorite candle, having a favorite plush animal, having a favorite blankie, having a favorite music. And so when they're having a lot of distress, go to that corner, right? Tap into that. And I think that has been something that a lot of some of my kids have been open to. And it's actually been really great to see the names that when they're very anxious or very overwhelmed. So Stephanie, what you, oh God. So I'm just curious. So, you know, this vulnerability piece is really important. But then there's also, you know, obviously the parent's mental health has a direct correlation to a child's mental health. Right. How do you, you know, it's okay to not be okay, but how do you help a child go from being the victim to empowering their life, right? Because a lot of kids are being told, oh, you have this, you have that. And they're putting all these labels on children. Mm-hmm. And I see it a lot when they come in and they come in with this victim mindset that, oh, I just have so much anxiety or, you know, so how do you work with them on their mindset to go from being a victim to their emotions to being an empowerment of you know, who they are and who they're becoming, you know, that happened, but you don't have to be a victim to that. I think one thing I try to teach kids is like, if they come in feeling anxious or they come in feeling sad or overwhelmed, that this is a part of them. I've been really looking into internal family systems. I don't know if you guys are aware of that approach, but it's such a great approach because it allows us to detach from this part of us that's very anxious and very overwhelmed. And so part of that is, and one, I, been, I can just think of a kid that came in very anxious. And once he understood his anxiety, once he was able to become more self-aware and learn, like, this is just a part of me, he, he kind of he learned not to identify with that if, if he was. And so that was great to see because once he detached himself, 
he was able to kind of leave it over here, acknowledge it when it comes, but then also like let it go when it needs to go. And so for me, one thing I helped to help them become a victim uh, and feel empowered is to help them recognize that, really exploring like what are those sensations you're having? What are some of those triggers? What are some of those stressors that you're experiencing? Let's talk about that. Where is that coming from? Who told you that? Let's reframe those thoughts and helping them do that and helps them also to like learn how to manage it. And once they're aware of that, they can manage it. But also reminding them of as long as like this is a part of you, let's also look at these wins. Like what how what, what are some things that you've been like really excited about or really like proud of? And so helping them build that confidence again and also teaching them how to learn how to communicate, right? So as you're talking, as I'm asking them questions, I'm learning um, they're hearing themselves speak. They're learning how to communicate their needs. They're learning how to communicate what they're feeling. And that builds empowerment. And then I, what I love to do is bringing the parents. And they're able to communicate to the parents where they're at. And so that builds that confidence in themselves that I can do this. Like I'm here talking to my mom about my anxiety. I can like go out and talk to my teachers about this. Like It's not weird anymore. It's a part of me. I'm, I'm detached from it. But it comes and goes in waves. And that's okay. And so that's like normalizing. So that's normalizing a behavior, right? And laying a foundation yeah. for success in your future, right? That's incredible. Wow. And I think normalizing helps kids not isolate. And I think isolation is where the symptoms can really elevate. So I think helping normalize is like, well, it's okay. Like, you know how many people actually have this? I went to therapy myself and I had a lot of anxiety. I'm realizing that it's just part of life. And that life gets really stressful at times. And there's going to be at work times issues. But I'm also helping them just empowering them to do really specific skills. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I always reframe it. It's that you don't have anxiety. Nobody has anxiety. It's something you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I think that what is normal is to have different times when you feel anxious, right? What's not normal is to feel it all the time and letting that define you and becoming a victim of it. So yeah, I love how you said to detach because that's exactly what we need to do is we need to detach. We can have anxiousness moments. That's completely normal. It's just not normal to have it all the time. And that's what we add on to. It becomes an issue if it affects your daily functioning, right? It's just something that's happening all the time. I mean, you can't concentrate in school. It's affecting relationships. It's affecting how you view yourself. It's limiting you from moving forward. So, so they know what it looks like. And then you can kind of use that as a baseline to go about the treatment plan, figure out how to help them support them. Yeah. I got one more question, Heather. I know you have a list and then I'll stop. It's a very last little question there and there. And it doesn't, it's not as an Okay. This is like our first time tag teaming interviewing someone. So we haven't found our flow yet, but it's all right. I know. I see that. I'm kind of jealous. You guys are like having tea. Oh my gosh. I love it. So Stephanie, how do you feel about all these kids being over-medicated and children being put on medications before their brains even fully developed before, you know, 25? Do you have any feelings around that or what are you noticing? In my work, I've been taught to kind of having to move a lot of my opinions to the sideline. Okay. This time I'm asking you to give your opinion. As an individual human, as a girl, girl. yeah, I know what you're taught. I, I understand that. So everybody listening, this is separate. This is separate from her professional world. This is her as an individual having an opinion in America, being able to have freedom of speech. Yes. So I do have some clients that are on medication and a lot of my thoughts on it. I think, honestly, 
some people may need medication. That's the reality I feel like some people may need it. And I, I explore that as a therapist and that's impersonal. I feel like it might be better, Emily, for you to share your thoughts on like some of the things that you come up for you when you're seeing people that are alone because it's a part of your practice. And see, I don't know. I just feel like it might be good to ask, you know, to just give a little backstory to that question so that you can kind of understand yeah. where you're coming from. Oh, so yeah, I'm like 99.9% against medicating children because their brain isn't fully developed. I'm the product of someone who is over-medicated with my brain not being fully developed. And there is a huge, I just did a, I just did a, I don't know if it was a podcast or post or something, but I was reading about all the different prescription drugs and how they're using prescription drugs to SSRIs for kids with anxiety. And then they're also putting them on a Xanax or something because it takes, you know, two to six weeks for that SSRI to kick in. Mm -hmm. So, and then once you are on an anxiety medication, when you come off it, it never solves the underlying issue and you actually end up having more anxiety. So, and there's no way for doctors to measure brain chemistry. Nobody can measure brain chemistry. That is not even possible. So to be prescribing something because your quote unquote brain chemistry is off, it's again, we don't know for sure. I just find that to be frustrating. And also doctors are not supposed to prescribe any mental health medications without deciding that there's no underlying cause. And so that's where I feel like they're not doing their due diligence because any anxiety, depression, all of that should, I believe, it should not be a diagnosis. That is a side effect of something deeper going on within the body. And as you know, trauma can exasperate different emotions. Not having a good foundation of health will exasperate certain emotions. So you pile on PTSD with a child not getting enough protein, with a child not getting enough nutrients, they are going to show up as a hot mess. And then if we give them medicine, like medications, like that's the solution. So yeah, I'm like fully against it. But again, that's my take on it. Yeah. And you may see something completely different. And I do think that when kids go on medications and the parents are like, oh yeah, it's working. Well, what's working is you're numbing who they are. Because we want them to sit in a chair at school and behave. Like this is craziness to me. Right. I I've seen a lot of that. That's why yeah. I've definitely seen that a lot in the school districts where these they have students that are very hyperactive and some of ADHD and they're like, the school is like really wanting, we need to sit on a medication. So I'm house in this classroom and he can focus. And in reality, I believe every child learns differently. I don't know if this is true. Follow up is exactly like per for every child. And so it's just like one way to go about learning. And, and I've seen that and I, I understand the school's approach because I've worked in the school and like this kid is disrupted and he's, he's you know, terrorizing the classroom and he's distracting other people from learning. I understand their approach. But I also see your approach too when there is also a lot of underlying issues, but yeah. usually they want a fast, a fast cure and therapy takes a while, right? We're unraveling all of these issues. And for kids, it's harder for kids because some of them, if they're not and they get to talk and we need to go to a therapy and then it's really young and the teenagers bullying has stuff that it just takes a longer it's a longer process and it's yeah. a band-aid fix and i think that's what a lot of people want these days is something that's quicker 
Yeah. I mean, don't you find it crazy that our school systems are telling parents that they should probably look at getting their kids on medication? Yeah. At what point? Like, literally, of- at yeah. what point does the schools decide what your medically is needed? It's just like, I and I also I was my daughter when she was in kindergarten, by the way, I went to a meeting these people didn't know what I did for a living. And they, these teachers, a teacher and an administrator said, I think your daughter has ADHD. And they weren't sure if they should hold her back. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You are diagnosing my daughter and putting a label on her in kindergarten. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. So I just feel like with what you do, it's so important because you have all these kids that have all this trauma, that have all this stuff, and then you have doctors throwing medicine at them, you have schools giving them labels, and here you are trying to be like, you're a flower, I want you to bloom, and they're like in this storm of life, you know? So, And I think that's one thing I do with my teenagers is we do self-check-in, and we do like, so if you're tired and you're anxious, let's look at, what did you eat this morning? Did you eat breakfast? What are your main stressors right now? Are there any? How's your relationship with your family? Let's look at that, right? Are you on your period? Like that's a valid question, right? Like, are you sleeping enough, right? Are you drinking enough water? Are your is your diet or what you're eating very high in sugar? Because we know we're gonna have crashes. You're the doctor. I mean, there's just things that affect. I'm really getting a lot of into like food as medicine too. So the more I'm narrated about that, the more I'm like, well, like a lot of my clients are not fueling their body the way they need to. So there could be a lot of I know when I eat a lot of sugar, I have a crash, my mood's off, right? I'm like, I'm not really regulated. And so that can also impact. So I'm doing a lot of building that with my team. So it's not just on this wave. It's like, let's look at other reasons why you may be having these these symptoms. Yeah, so important. And, you know, like Heather knows for sure how important food is and real food. And, you know, she sources her food locally and, you know, it's very flavorful and, Yes. And like Heather says, you know, when you eat real food, your body knows what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. Eat a chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. <laughs> Make it, right, Heather? <laughs> 10, the way I look at things is I not everybody has to adapt this mentality of this like perfect cookie cutter life of maybe not the cookie cutter, but <laughs> mainstream life where there's strict hard boundaries with eating. I feel like as long as we're mindful of what we're eating and we're putting good things in our body as often as we can. I think the challenge comes with people, especially children, not really understanding the difference of what is good and what's not. Because mm-hmm. even like our restaurant, like we make our dressings from scratch. We make almost everything on our menu is made in house. Yeah. I think we have one thing that's on our menu that we don't make and it's Fritos. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, of all the things. Some of it's like, why don't you just make that? I'm like, because we make salad eggs or something like that. It doesn't have to look like every single element that's going into my body is organic, locally sourced, and whole food. It's just being mindful of that. And yeah. I think parents don't maybe necessarily have the time to do the research to figure out what it is that's good for them, let alone like setting that tone for their yeah. children right now. I think that there's a disconnect there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's so funny that we're at a point in our lives where as humans, like our we have to research what's healthy food and what's not. Well, yeah, I know. Like okay. right? so there is farms. Like we didn't live we didn't have the modern day conveniences that we have today. And I feel like as a result of us evolving and just 
moving away from like traditional lifestyle of you were raised on a farm that I was just literally, this is what always cracks me up where our conversations go because <laughs> I literally was just talking to a local restaurant owner yesterday about he was born in Greece and his or his family originated from Greece. His dad was born there and he's gone back and he was talking about how farming is becoming unpopular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how old used to be to where I know. She's like, well, <laughs> no, that's not a good thing. That it used to be that that was part of an honor to be a farmer, farm your land. And that and the descendants of farmers were also honored to maintain that family name and tradition and that and then it stayed within that mindset of like, this is what feeds my family. This is how I want to live my life. And now they're that pride with the younger generation. So the part the farmers change drinks probably I don't know, like ten generations later. They're looking at other avenues. And it's not cool to be a farmer like it used to be. And so there's gonna be some steps happening, I think, and letting those generations start to get well, I think, too, when, you know, our government, at least in the United States, came in and started subsidizing corn and sugar and started subsidizing all these farmers, it really fractured the foundations of this country and farming here. And that's a whole nother podcast. Episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It really is. And I feel like a part of that is really what they were talking about corn and then connecting to our overall well-being. It's something that a lot of people I know, like years, it was kind of like laughed at before, you know, like people were like, well, I can smoke a cigarette, I can do this. And then hundred years in, you can develop all these studies and they've learned that why not know that every single thing that we do does like that does. And if you can figure out a way to mindful with that, it's not right now we're going to be cheating by having this little, you need to write a big thing or a things about keepy thing. And not every second of every day. It's just enjoying the moments that we do choose and do other things. And then being mindful of the times. How much in my day am I spending hitting in something going to add value? And when I put something in my mouth, like a tea, for example, this isn't a white tea. It's, um, you think it's a lot. Yeah. White tea is linked to the song. There's so many significant benefits to drinking white tea. And it's something that the Japanese found that helps with. Happiness and longevity. I was reading this book on it, so I bought like sitting on white tea. And then after I uh, I drive for this reading the um guy book, the Japanese art of Oh yeah. 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 No, but I know you talked about it before to me, so I think I it's on my list. It's a really easy read. I feel like in the beginning it's kind of surface level and at the end there's this long moderate list. It wasn't super long. Maybe like fifteen things that we can see lives that happier life in mind with what the lives that they live to the snowy from a study perspective it's a information kind of like it was on saying where he found people as well yeah and so that was one of my tapes from that work it's fine and i wanted that in, in itself right that's researching taking the time to like care about what i'm doing in your body so if i know for a long time the governor was feeding us information around the food pyramid and you know, what was yes what was like recommending a day servings of things that were you know, mm-hmm. were, were going to add value to our lives and like it was all based on them making money and versus what is actually good for us and so i think 
it creates a little bit of a conflict within society as a whole because people aren't able to say like right the like average person isn't able to say like this is what i'm supposed to do because there's like this most feeling around what's really good and what's not and are people being persuaded by like scare tactics or you know like it's it's like it, it's very controversial yeah to talk about if it's good for you or not <laughs> i mean i know based on my own reviews and if people aren't getting that it's if V is good for you. I don't subscribe to that mentality. I know that a lot of people believe that whole beet is better than flour. Flour is wheat. Wheat's flour. I thought you said weed at first. What was it? I thought you said weed. Oh, that's so funny. I'm like, why are you smirking over there? Like, what is- I'm like, is she talking about weed? All right. No, okay. Yeah. Well, wheat. <laughs> yes. Wheat. Well, GMO free wheat versus, yeah, there's like a so it's just like the your body that seems deep such that it's a processed food i just find her 90 percent of the time that i'm ingesting things like better but but if it's my mentality on it say to think suddenly oh they need to take it is that for information it's bad for me like i was like oh my goodness that if you guess we're the longest time it was on our feet here yeah that that was recommended what is it all dedicated on number that turns behind it but it, it is. So our schools, you know, we have all these schools now on free lunch, free breakfast, free snack. Oh, wait, you need to take something home for dinner. And those are subsidized by the government. And 51 percent of those meals need to be wheat, whole grain, Oh no, not GMO free, none of that. And it's sprayed with all these pesticides. And we wonder why all these kids are having anxiety, having gut disruption. You have an acid reflux. <laughs> and the, some of these kids, like, it's like, well, you know, the schools are feeding these kids, and which was never, you know, the school system's responsibility. Yeah. But now that, quote unquote, it is, we're, we're literally slowly poisoning children. I know I take it like some people might look at that and say that's an extreme view, but I actually draw the line at our kids, you know, yeah. like. Adults can decide whatever they want, but like our kids and what we're doing to them is like, especially since you work with kids and your teens, like, you know, that is one thing that I am heck now about, you know? Well, like, and she thought about laying the foundation for success and from a mental standpoint, and it, I think it goes hand in hand when we're well, looking at a way to create success for fitting for ourselves, for our bodies, for our minds, every single day comes into play. And like, here it is, it is one of the biggest factors and if children aren't able to decipher what is going to add value yeah to their nutrients to their natural state of mind based on what they're eating then they don't even have that like right yes yes it, it can't be them say like oh wait i've already had a cupcake a donut and cheetos today so maybe i should choose some celery and peanut butter or almond butter I've heard one thing that says in graduate school, someone said, if you just give people more sleep and they start changing the way they eat, most of their symptoms of healthy decrease. Just because you're being more flessed. And I think this first colleague of mine, she worked in like a substance abuse clinic and she noticed like once they detoxed and once they got off the substances, once they started getting enough sleep or once they started eating well, mm-hmm. symptoms went away like that. Most of their symptoms. Yeah. For sure. I mean, the body is meant to heal itself. And if you slowly poison the body, you're slowly poisoning the brain. Yeah. 
the brain utilizes up to 25% of all the nutrients and oxygen that you take in every single day. And it's only 2% of your body. So it's like the most energy sucker. So if you're even not even hydrated, you know, then you're putting all this junk in. It's like, no wonder people are walking around like zombies, feeling anxious and being depressed and all these things, you know, and that's just. Yeah, I think what you're saying was great is like, I think that's why it's really important to touch on that in my sessions with teenagers is checking in with your feet. I always ask them what you eat today. You know, how's the quality of your sleep? How's the quality of your sleep? Are you waking up a lot? Right. So asking those questions help them think about it. And in yeah. each session, if I'm doing that, then there is that self-awareness that could be built that even if it's just that checking, they could at least learn to check in for themselves. Right. So I think it's just building that slowly within teens, just building that habit around. Let's check in, right? Let's do that self-check-in. And so I think that's really, really important. Once I started worrying about feed and how it affects on me, I was like, I'm noticing it in myself. I have to just do my clients because it's like full form. Yeah. So good. That's so good. So what do you find with doing from the end perspective? Is there any thoughts that you have about some of our tools that seem shared with, you, with us so far? Yeah. I mean, I love the self-check-in. You know, like, how are you feeling right now? Like, with Gary. Gary D is my more emotionally passionate child. <laughs> Sensitive. Lewis is more of the emotional anger child, right? Yeah. So, you know, so there, I do little check-ins with them. I'm like, that's interesting that you're responding that way. Why do you think this is bothering you so much? So I just always go back with a question that's not yes or no to get them to start going to their prefrontal cortex to start that executive function thinking versus being in more in that limbic state where they're super emotional because Heather and I have talked about this when we're running on emotion we're like we're screwing stuff up right or we're not yeah Yeah, we have to it's normal and it's it's not it's just under pressure you know it's not like I had a great breakfast if I had some juice because I just fight the day with like vegetable juice there if I if I if I set that foundation for myself, then I'm more likely to succeed in the long run throughout my day in that foundation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. that children are really they're not nobody's teaching them that. Yeah. And I think yeah. you said too, like you can't it's near really upper levels of hyper and it's in a different state when you're very reactive. In order to get to that executive function, we need to be able to bring us back to baseline. So I think one thing I notice with parents is like when their kids are having a behavior. They really want to be, to be that talk to me, talk what's going on, what's going on, and well, right, they weren't even regulated yet. So I think yeah. like one thing I talk parents to do is give the team space, like back off. Like, hmm. of course, you're going to approach them and they're super like, like super agitated or frustrated or in distress. Like, I'm teaching kids to also communicate, mom, give me a set, give me a set. Yeah. Because I think that's important for kids to learn how to do that. A lot of kids. I struggle with that honestly like not even being able to identify what's going on and then ask you for a moment so i think you're right i think it's good to ask those questions that's so important but i also think it's important to make sure that the say the team or the child is in a calmer state because i know when my i'm a little frustrated i can't think straight right yeah. but they're like daryl i need a moment yeah yeah it's that reactive mindset right like yeah i'm being able to ask for permission so i think as a child Right? Like, that's not something that are, is also being taught. Like, it's not taught to say, yes, that's an adult, and you're still like, okay to be like, I need a moment. My time, my energy, and my response is 
important and I want to honor you both of us yeah. by collecting my thoughts and taking a Yeah, I want to do We can ask those questions in the... Yeah. One of the things that we also talk about in my family is using I statements because I statements like one, it saved my marriage. <laughs> like, I know you might have not meant to make me feel this way, but I took it in as blah, 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 right? Like, so using I statements and really encouraging the kids to use I statements, like I, I just need a moment. I'm feeling blah, blah, blah. Like, I think I statements are really powerful. And when we are in that reaction mode, we can go to, well, you did this or, and we point the finger, right? Then it's on using you. I feel like planning from I versus planning from you is massively important. And I know in there, I mean, it's two sides to everything, right? So it's not necessarily fair to say, you know, to tell somebody how they feel. And I think, I and yeah, we're not really. Yes. It's never fair. Yeah. And if you want to, yeah. And if you want to say something about how some, you could say, I noticed you blah, blah, blah. Right. Cause you went back to the I statement. Well, this is what I noticed. It doesn't make it your truth, but that's just coming from my perspective versus saying, well, you did this, you know, even as like in sessions, if I noticed kids talk about a certain topic and they have a certain reaction. They're probably like, unaware of that, right? Like, I noticed that when you brought that up, you booked, yeah. I noticed that you brought that up, you booked somewhere else. And then to me, brand model, the face completely changed. So not only are you normalizing that, like, it's like they're feeling something, but you're also identifying it. And that that can probably bring up things subconsciously that they may not even be aware of. That you can right. So I think that also important to you is, like, using those I statements, but also bringing up things that you notice in them. That they probably have yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love that. That is, yeah. So anyone listening, if you have children or a partner or you deal with other humans in life, <laughs> check in with your I statements. <laughs> it can be very, very helpful. I love that. Yeah, Such great. Check in with yourself too. Like, like you notice, one thing I help with my clients is helping establishing boundaries. Yeah. Parents, yeah. peers, yeah. people in their life. And it's just like, if you feel, checking with yourself, if you're feeling angry about something, look, think about, stop, pause, what, where am I feeling that anger in my body? Like, I get angry in my chest and I get really mad and my heart beats fast and my stomach starts. So when I get worried, my stomach hurts. When I am overwhelmed, my head hurts, right? So helping clients learn, like, like where in your body are you getting that? Let's acknowledge that. Let's give it and let's, let's, let's sit in that for a while and let's think about it. Where's that going to be from? Is it because someone... Like overstep themselves into your space. Is it because that I mean, you said something and it wasn't heard? Are you being, so? I think that's the really important too is acknowledging that and, and and being mindful of where that is. That deserves a high five. That deserves a high five because I feel like oftentimes like we aren't we aren't able to recognize yeah. certain things that are zoning up for us. We're not taught that. We're not taught to recognize it. Take the time to notice it. He's actually a body responding to us and saying like, help. Yeah. yeah. Like something yeah. is wrong. And if, if people aren't taught to identify, like, I was telling one of my team members the other day in restaurant, the back was hurting. And I was like, did you take the time to just tell yourself like sub- on a subconscious level? Like, oh my God, my back hurts. And listen, why? It's like, 
just taking that time because it's sending our body is sending out a signal to yeah. say, hey, yeah. something is not right. 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 That and, then, and I think that's so important because once you're aware of that, that blows the self-awareness to be able to distinguish what are like boundary violations, right? What is like a signal that my body is giving? What's happening around me, right? It's causing me this. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious for a reason. Let's not just out of nowhere say, that's why I go back to self care. And then yeah. piece it. Speak will help it. Talking about what you're studying it. So important. Yeah. Biofeedback is like such an innate, amazing mechanism that our body has. And I love it. One of the things that I do with clients, and I've done this with my son actually a couple of times, I'll have him lay in bed. When he is feeling different things in their body, you know, identifying if it's in your head, identifying whatever emotion it is, you know, having them scan their body and identify it. And then I do this practice where I have them remove it from their body. And they I, they give me a number one through 10 of how intense it is. And they just identify if it had a color, if it had a shape, you know, what are what is all of this? And then once they tell me and they tell me, oh, I'm at like an eight, it's just so uncomfortable for me. And then we do this practice where they remove it. And then they're like, I'm like, well, how are you feeling now? Oh, I'm a, I'm like a two. Oh my gosh. And like, it's just amazing because it's energy, right? Like it's, and that's like where I love it. Like, but energy is like frequencies and emotions carry these strong energies that impact tissue in your body. And we do a horrible job of talking about that. And that's why your mind can make you sick. That's why emotions can make you sick. That's why kids that have trauma that don't have the proper support to ex take that trauma and get it out of their body, out of their bio field, end up getting ill when they get older, end up having more mental health challenges is because we've never solved the root issue. And that goes back to, you know, one of the main reasons why I'm fully against medication. Because it's not getting to the underlying root issue. And also like the tension and the energy that is connected to me constantly resonate when in that a pathetic state where like say it's my muscle, for example. Like I don't Yeah, like a heightened state. Yeah, heightened state where it's like stress, right? So with my back, I know I'll be getting my back hurt for a while. So I started telling myself when it hurt, it like the clever, that hurts right there release that pain and I started to do some activities through breath through my mind to release that on what I noticed was I was holding this like tension and this pain and I was like a protective like some it was like my body trying to protect itself and it was also fascinated that on a way as a result of that I was able to release the tension in my back just through like acknowledging it yeah every day and it's it's almost like do you ever think about maybe having like a child, like an adoption child thing? Like, it's not fair that your kids are getting access to all of this information. <laughs> like, this is an unfair advantage. Why are you like this? Can there be like every day friend of candy and worry? And then I know. Yeah, but you know, I don't know anything to them, right? You know, like every single day they're getting like, I, my parents never told me that. Like, can you imagine what you know, the first if you had? Everyone is a mom. That's why we have these conversations. Right. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. why we bring these topics in because it's so important for people to know that these are there are things that you can do. I'd be curious to Anne Marie, like what's that practice that you do with your child and the one that helped to release the, the anxiety or the and manner color. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there you say you get a practice that helps it decrease your beat to um, it's really, it's just all through your brain. It's a visualization, it's kind of like a guided meditation. 
just have them lay there. Their eyes are closed. I walk them through, you know, every part of their body. And then, yeah, and sometimes what I'll do, this is this might be out there for some people, but I have them do this visualization where it's like a meditation. Almost, I don't want to say it's hypnotherapy because it's it's kind of like that, right? You get them in the theta state. And I have them actually go rise above their life as like if it's a timeline. And they go back on their timeline in their life. And I have them drop into the first memory that they have. Whatever, I don't, I don't direct which memory it is. And it's very interesting to see what memory comes up for them. Because after I've talked to them for a while, there can be, you know, there's all these messaging that we have, these underlying things. I'm not good enough. Nobody likes me. I need to be perfect, whatever. All of that is programming that we received before we were about seven years old, unless it's like ancestral that we inherited through lineage. But what I'll do is they keep saying the same thing over and over again. And when I have a client that does that, I'm like, hey, are you open to doing a little visualization with me? And they'll be like, okay, yeah. I've never had anyone tell me no. And I have them do this exercise and they go and they'll drop into a moment. And like one client dropped into a moment of he doesn't want to ever be alone. And he dropped into a moment where he was probably three years old and there was an accident. And his parents had to go deal with the accident and he felt like he was all alone, right? Like, again, he wasn't alone. His parents were still there. But in his three-year-old mind, he programmed fear around being alone, right? So then we go back to the body. Where are you feeling this in your body as that three-year-old? Because remember, he went above his timeline, dropped into himself as a three-year-old. And he took himself back into that moment as a three-year-old. And I had him explain where he's feeling this in his body. So we did that. We removed it from the body. He gave his three-year-old self whatever message he felt was needed, goes above his body, comes back, drops into where he's at here in the present moment in 2023. And it's crazy how much of a relief. And I'm sitting there looking at the client and they're there with their eyes closed and you can see this. You can physically see their body from when they start and then when they finish, and I'm like getting chills right now because every time it's fascinating to me. It's so fascinating to me, you know. And anyway, so that's kind of like what I do. Talking about when you're when when they're laying in bed and you have them decide a color to how they're feeling. Is that the skit? That's a little kind of in practice. It just depends on like, is there a messaging behind it, or is it just something they're feeling in that moment, right? Because honestly, the the reason they're feeling that in that moment is because they're being triggered by something that was stored with them in the past. Right. The reason it's showing up now anyways is because there was something in your past that programmed you that kind of like scarred you and you never got rid of that scar. Yeah. You live your life trying to avoid hitting those little scars. Right. We always do that. Pleasure, avoid pain. And we don't want to hit any of those scars where it's like, well, what if we just remove the scar? Then we don't even have to worry about tiptoeing around it. Well, and I know that like I think we talked about this before where oftentimes they happen to those are if it was six or five or three or whatever our three-year-old self doesn't have the capability to really solve that problem right like so we're not solving it for her like in secret and then throughout life they're using that implicit some kind of inoffensive they're using that same like strategy to solve a problem that may be getting to work in their degree and then that's just like, like it's sinking into like everything that they're doing amplifying everything yeah it's funny how the very things from our past that we don't desire, that we no longer want, that we didn't even like, are constantly showing up in our present moment and dictating our future. So it's back to what you said, disconnecting. 
Well, friend, letting that go, moving on, freeing yourself from those those things and so you can live your best life. But we've ran out of time, you guys. No. I know we did. We did. Um, okay. So if you were to leave, Stephanie, the listeners with anything, what would you want to leave them with? Any tips or anything as to parents, to maybe a kid listening to this podcast? Well, although it's kind of, I hear this a lot, but it's okay not to be okay. It's just like, say that's fun, right? It's okay not to be okay. I think for parents, just listen to your kids. You know, listen, be observant. Anything that you notice that's out of the ordinary, that's concerning you, talk about it. Maybe reach out to your therapist and do their Therapists have free consult calls. Just because you call a therapist doesn't mean they're going to see a therapist. So you can go on Psychology Today, find a therapist that serves your team, and say, like, request a free consultation call. And the therapist would be like, yeah, this is a concern or they'll normalize like, well, it's typical to you, give me beer. We'll tell you. And then if you want to move forward, you can schedule a session with that therapist. And therapy does not have to be forever. It could be a brief six-week counseling session. It could be longer if you want. There's no like timeline. It's really what works for your family, works what's mainly for the team. But yeah, and they seem to be observant and then all in self-funding be not alone. I'm pretty sure a lot of friends based in many of you for teens which Kids come in thinking that they're the only one that struggles with it. Yeah. Even adults do that. Yeah. No, you're not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. You're not only. I love that that's a thing. That's a huge state. Mm -hmm. Especially with our social media and the access that we have to some people these days. I feel like most people are. And I know through social media and it's finding this like distance in a sense because we're not seeking out that sound within the people that are actually best but chime into social media and i think that that's creating a little bit of psych within the team and like some adult ages yeah and then not real like i think it's important even as adults right we get, we get used to being on instagram and not really have these authentic vulnerable relationships i even notice that in myself so like i want to be in a group of people to be around that i could be vulnerable with right because there's so much power and community in that and over, uh, just being vulnerable with a friend of mine feeling so great afterwards and i think it's just don't get that from Instagram. I'm like, here, like, you don't get yeah. that from Instagram. I laugh because the last podcast that her and I have recorded, I ended up interviewing her. And at the end, I was like, well, I just want to say that I'm so proud of you for being bockable on this podcast and just being real. And I can only, like, it just, it's so common for people to just brush off, you know, the new feelings. So that's who you authentic feeling. Yes. And are you really obsessed enough how important I feel like that is too in my life? Yeah. So you'll be just told what you break daily if I say the letter knowing that they're not allowed. I think all are alone and you might let's listen to them because you should give you place if you made us out of the ordinary. I do a do constant calls, talk to therapists, right? Don't talk, don't go to TikTok and figure out how to get what's going on with children. I would go to the professional talking about it because people are really there to help you. And maybe what's like one tool that you've noticed has been the most effective and the work that you've done? Um let's see. One tool. So I do a lot of breathing work, like wait, and the lot of like self check-ins, fake teens, while I'm journaling. Because there's a week between sessions, I don't see kids. So I tell them, well, any intense emotion that you have, write it down. So you could talk about it and we come in and we could talk about, well, what are you, what triggered you? I do like a thought record with my kids. So it's, I think it's a big intervention I use. It's cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's like, what happened? What was the trigger? What happened? The trigger the emotion, 
the applet, what happened as a result of it, and you can alter that. What would you do? Like, there's a lot of, yeah, it's like, but pretty much it helps clients like process their thoughts and reframe their thoughts and based on what you think that happened. And gives them a little bit of power. Yeah. Uh, and useful around knowing that that is a choice that they can make. And like, I like the last part where you said, if you could do it again, like, how would you play with that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You did that like there to use something of her volleyball. When, you did it. What should we do again? What should we do differently? When you get into volleyball and you're like, they're being talking about the coaching and then you remember this conversation? Yeah, briefly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, like, wait. So you said that your daughter is on the volleyball and the first the third game that she had played before they lost and she was really upset and she wanted to talk to you about it. And she didn't want to talk to you about it in front of anybody. She wanted to wait until she got on and out. And then the thing that triggered her the most was like the most obscure thing that you would have never even expected. Right. Like her brother being right. Or yeah. she doesn't want her brother to be right. Because he said you're going to, he's like, you're going to lose because, you know, he's a brother and brothers, you know. And yeah, and she did not want him to be right. So it was very interesting because we were walking out of the game and she looked at me like, okay, she gave me the look like we got to talk you know and then as we're walking to the car i'm like you don't want to talk in front of anyone right now she's like no like she just wanted to wait till we got in the car and i was like very curious about what she was going to say i had already made up in my mind what i assumed she was going to say but the the one thing that i've learned is to let my kids speak first right like instead of me like being like well blah 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 like because i had my opinion but it always surprises me but never surprised me is the things that they'll come up with first you know when you let them speak and because they'll tell you how they're feeling they're going to tell you like you said they're going to give you clues and it's really not up to us to assume how they're feeling or anyone else's feeling not only from men right not letting them be able to speak for themselves i think that you allow them to do that yeah yeah, because if you had decided for her in that specific instance, yeah. what would you would have been way off, way off, and she would have cut her brain would have like you know because what I thought didn't even matter. It was her experience, and this is the thing of being on the court or being in the stands in life, right? Like Heather, when you're in your business, you're on the court, and when I'm working with you with a corporate client, I'm in the stands. So when I'm in the stands, I see things completely different and I may have my opinion and all that. And you're in this, you're in the game of life and you're saying, no, Anna Marie, that's not actually what it is. And I'm up here in the stands. And so it's interesting because so many people live life in the stands and think they get to have an opinion of what's going on on the court when they're not even in the game. Yeah. That is like <laughs> in itself. Yeah. Because it is, it's, it's giving people advice kind of in a, in a, in a sense based on them not living their life. Yeah. And like for you, you're not a parent and you being both the stronger every single day. Yeah. So if somebody coming in and say certain things without working, like for me, I was with mostly like 17 to like 28 year old young adults. And the things that I've learned over the last eight years have been mind-dealing to me you know and just call them by work say helpful them something like that are young adults that have 10 16 19 young adult like in a work environment how their minds work and seeing the changes you know like when we were younger the way that we handled certain situations and things i feel like sometimes i forget sometimes even these kids are 17 or 18 years old because they have the tools and the capability to talk through their problems and assess their awareness at and like pump them eye 
when I don't, I don't remember being taught oh. that when I was younger. Yeah. Nope. They have these great tools now. Right? I think it's a job is one more to the schools. Like they have every high school has a school social worker. They have mental health therapists, they have a psychologist. Elementary schools now have social workers, and that's what I did. And I think I'm seeing the, I was at the school site, so I had a crisis all the time with kids. So there's a lot of mental health now being talked about in these schools. I also have a TikTok of myself of talking about mental health and giving skills and talking about providing psychoeducation about mental health because I feel like it's not talked about. And it's really great because it's actually kids that dialogue with me on there about, like, hey, is this normal or this? And so, like, it's just great to create the conversation around mental health because I think it's just been a stigma for so long. And um, kids seeing that, well, maybe we'll often go to therapy. So I think it just eliminates dark for and around what mental health is and, and what therapy is. So it's mostly talking, it's not as bad as you think it is. Well, I love yeah. instead, like, it could be, like, a sit-seat thing or it could be... Yeah, something like it doesn't have to be this like online therapy for as long as we speak. Yes, and I feel like a lot of times people do. There, maybe that's an old way of being happy. Yeah, because there's a lot of times when it did a lot of stigma, they did there, and I don't know if it was from the nineties or early two thousands where if somebody went into therapy, it's like oh something wrong with that. Person. Yeah, you know, and no, it's not. That's the first thing I was. It's okay. Like, and a lot of kids, a lot of clients too, that say, oh, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You know, or, oh, like, I don't have any thoughts about hanging one. I really don't. It's like, well, even if you did, like, that's okay. Let's talk about it. I mean, I'm just, I can handle that. You know, it's okay. So I think it's just people kind of come in thinking, like, we're all mental, right? We're all mental. That's why good health matters. <laughs> all right. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Let's grab it. LLP that we'll keep our handles and we'll pin those handles that we got and stuff and new posts too, right? So people can everybody go yeah, check out the show notes. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Holy You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Holy You on Facebook and at Happy Holy You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.